Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. Jesus said, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed, but not everyone set free remains free. And that's why Paul was writing to the Galatians. False teachers were teaching that salvation depends on our own good works. So Paul must remind them that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. Now let's join Pastor Ross in our verse by verse study through this most liberating letter. All righty, it is time to begin a new book. The book of Galatians, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we bow before your God-breathed word sent from heaven to save us, to heal us, to correct us, to comfort us, God, it's living and active and sharp as a sword to cut into us and do its wonderful work of healing and wholeness. We pray tonight that we would leave this place changed and renewed because we've encountered a supernatural force, the living God at work through his word. In Christ's name, we pray you set us free. Amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Jesus said that his main mission really was to come and set us free. He said to his disciples, hey, if you hold to my truth, You will be my disciples, and that truth will set your hearts free, free from death, the fear of death, free from the power of sin, free from the judgment of God, free from laboring under that yoke of spiritual ignorance in this life. And we are freed up when the light of the world came down into darkness and opened our eyes and let us see what? The light of life, the truth. He's the light of the world. And in that truth, we were in all ways emancipated. The gospel that Jesus brings is all about freedom. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. You know what he means by that? He's saying, like, how much more free could a human be if God is your liberator? Your understatement of the world. If the Son of God sets you free, well, then you're free indeed. But sadly, not all who are set free by Christ remain free in Christ. Some get tangled back into all kinds of of, yokes of bondage and all sorts of entrapments. And so take the first century Christians in Galatia, for example. That's exactly what happened to them. They started off running the race, set free, and let out of their cage, and soaring in limitless skies, singing out beautiful songs. But by the time Paul needed to write to them, they were flying back into the cage on their own accord because of some false teachers who had infiltrated the area. They were going backwards instead of forward, and that's really the theme of Galatians. Now, Galatia was a region in modern-day Turkey. I've got a picture for you, a map. 
Uh, all three of Paul's missionary journeys are recorded in Acts chapter 13 all the way to into about 21-22 are those three missionary journeys. And all three, he goes through the region of Galatia, which is the central part. This all is this large landmass here is modern-day Turkey. So the central Turkey is what we're talking about when we say Galatia. And so that first missionary trip is really when he they started off in Antioch. They sent out Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, and they made it through Cyprus. They sailed here to and touched uh, uh, land there at modern-day Turkey, as I said, but that's where John Mark went home, right? And so they, uh, Barnabas and, and, and Paul continued up into mainland and then went through uh, Lystra and Iconium. This is where Paul got into massive trouble and uh, he, he preached the gospel uh, there and that is where he met uh, Timothy, right? And on his second missionary trip through there, uh, Timothy becomes part of the missionary uh, team. But that's just so you know what we're talking about. So Galatia is a region, and you'll notice in the salutation when we get there that the letter's addressed to the churches in Galatia. So it, was, it would be like saying instead of to the church of Corinth or Calvary Chapel Philippi, which was a single church that he was writing to, right? Instead of saying to the congregation at the rock, He's saying to the congregation, congregations in Sonoma County. So this was considered a circular letter in Colossians chapter 4. You see a reference to that, that these were New Testament epistles, letters meant to be shared with the surrounding churches. So he tells the Colossians, make sure you read this letter in Laodicea and, at the, and, and, and you make sure you read the letter from them. And so there were circular letters about. Thank you for that uh, picture. So the main verse, of course, and the reason he's writing is because of those false teachers of the, the Jewish uh, flavor. Uh, they have come into town and they said, you got Jesus? Well, that's very nice and good. But, you know, you need to become Jewish. You need to get back to your roots you need to have a kosher table. Men needed to be circumcised. And all of these things in order for you to be saved. You got Jesus, that's nice, but it's not sufficient. You've got work to do. And so they began to believe it because there's something very attractive about working our way to earn God's favor. It's sort of in us. And so it's a hard tendency uh, not to be uh, sucked into. And so uh, this is why he has to pick up his pen and write to these churches. And it's on this point, really. And he writes with great passion. Galatians is really uh, a passionate letter, enormous urgency uh, to, to bring some clarity on this one point. I have the key verse that sums up the entire six-chapter letter or epistle is a fancy word for letter. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery of any kind. Now, to, uh, in these six weeks or so, we'll be talking about 
the yoke of adding to salvation, but there's so many ways for us to get entrapped and enslaved. And so, uh, but for the context of Galatians, it's really all about legalism and what you can and can't do. That brings about your salvation. You were saved according to the Jewish uh, Judaizers. Judaizer, he mentions in chapter four of the epistle, Judaizer is to make Judah, to make Jewish, right? So they came in and said, hey, you know what? Let's talk about Moses, not just Jesus. Let's talk about Father Moses and Father Abraham. And so he writes and he says, it's for freedom that Christ came to set us free. And so uh, you're looking at the key verse there tonight. So let's dive in, Galatians chapter 1 and get off and running with the salutation or greeting. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That is a nice greeting. If you're taking notes, verses 1 through 5, Paul's greeting. Another word, of course, is the salutation. Now, ancient times, they wrote letters kind of like we did, except they would sign it in the beginning because it's a scroll. So instead of having to wonder who's this from and unraveling the scroll all the way, they'd sign it right away. Hey, it's me, Paul, right? First out of the gate, right? Who it's from, there'd be uh, uh, what it, uh, who it's from and whom it's addressed to and some kind of blessing, like sort of almost what we do today. It's a greeting packed with a punch, is it not? There's a lot going on in that simple little greeting. He even manages to summarize the gospel in one sentence. Well, leave it to an evangelist to even in the greeting of a letter to throw in a John 3.16 kind of thing there. And that's what he does. But it's not just the good news he squeezes into the salutation. He has to defend himself already. That's a defensive statement. I wasn't sent by any man, but by Jesus Christ because the false teachers who came in to Galatia had to, first of all, before you get your heresy into somebody's heart, you have to uh, slander or discredit uh, the former founding pastor or the person who brought the truth to you. And so their first uh, MO, if you will, was to uh, insult and slander the apostle and say that, you know, who is this guy? Nobody's heard of him. Uh, We're from Jerusalem. Do any of the apostles know him? Who sent him? Does he have papers? Did he show you documents? No, he just comes into town with this salvation is free, salvation is free stuff. Come on. Who is he? Who sent him? So he opens up. Let's get something straight right from the jump. Paul, an apostle, sent not by man, and look at the shout out to divinity of Christ. I wasn't sent by a man. I was sent by Jesus. Well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> do the math there. If, if he wasn't simply a man, but by Jesus, then Jesus can't be a man. He has to be 
more than a man. He was fully man, but he was fully God. And so he's starting out right there because the bad guys came into town with their false religion and they're competing for the congregations. Hey, they got turnkey congregations ready to support them. They're jealous. They're envious. Uh, they want what Paul worked for. So they're slandering him and introducing their heresy. The word heresy comes from a word that means to choose the other, to choose the other, to, to go away from orthodox. Orthodox means straight belief. Two words there, ortho and dox, dox to believe, ortho to straight, like an orthopedic surgeon straightens a bone, right? And so to be a heretic was to choose outside of orthodoxy, and that's what they did. But first, they had to malign the character of the apostle Paul, that he wasn't a true apostle. He was self-appointed, and he says, on the contrary, uh, I was sent by Christ, which is there. A shout-out to Acts chapter 9, where the risen Savior appeared in blinding light and blinded this murderous, raging, lost Pharisee and changed him into arguably the best missionary the world has ever seen, the most godly man. And so he says that the Son of God appeared to him, commissioned him with the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. And the good news was that Jesus conquered death on our behalf. He says God raised him from the dead. It was nothing that you did by keeping a kosher table or by you know putting a mark on your body or whatever, all your, your commandments and such. But Jesus... Uh, died and rose to set us free. And so he says, the brothers are with me, Barnabas, Timothy, Silas, Luke. He had traveling companions and they're not writing the letter, they're with him. And so he says, hey, they're the boys, the young men. Remember, oh, oh, the, the fathers of your faith, they're with me. You know, he's being slandered. Who is this guy? You fall for this nonsense? You do nothing? You do nothing, and God just saves you. You do nothing. You just, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you kidding me? Where'd you get this nonsense from? From Paul, an apostle, sent by Christ, the Son of God, by the will of God himself, along with the men who, who brought the gospel that saved their very souls are with them. And he gives them a shout out, and he says, to all the churches there, and then he says, on to a traditional Christian greeting, grace and peace to you. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, but so desperately need. And peace is, once you get that grace, is, the, is what you can enjoy. And you can only enjoy peace after you've received God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. That's the only way to know peace, and he says, and notice, he says, uh, notice the two shout-outs to Jesus' deity. I already mentioned it there in verse one. I didn't receive it from a man. I received it from Jesus. And then this twice linking God the Father with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do that, you are making Jesus and God the Father equal. And that's exactly what Jesus said. John chapter 10 and verse 30, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones to, to kill him. He said, for which of my good deeds do you stone me? They said, for a good deed we stone you not, but for you, a mere man, 
make yourself equal to God. They understood the claim. And Jesus would say things like, at the Lord's uh, table, as it were, at the night he was betrayed, he said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. What? (laughs) You believe in God? Believe in me too. Why? Because he's the second person of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. And there's a shout out right there for us. And so he says, grace and peace from two members of the Godhead. And uh, here he says, uh, verse four, who did for us what we could never have done ourselves. Do you see that? He says, we have been rescued. He paid for our sins. He rescued us out of this hell-bent world. So already there's a flavor of defending himself and also coming against the, and he's only, he's only in the salutation. He's already said, I have been appointed by God the Father I am a divine and supernatural calling and an authority given to him by God. And then he's, he, he pulls out the gospel there to say that he did the work. He did the heavy lifting. There's nothing that you bring. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. This is his gospel that the Judaizers made fun of and appeal to human logic? Does that sound reasonable, that you will get everything for doing nothing? It sounds too good to be true, but it's true. That's why it's called good news. Not that we have to do all 613 commands. That's not good news. Or that men have to be circumcised to be saved. This is not good news. Amen? Hello. <laughs> It's okay, we're all grown-ups here tonight. I think most of us. I saw a couple that might not qualify. <laughs> all right, yeah, I wasn't talking about you. All right, yeah, so, and then he ends up saying, you know, to God be the glory. Why? Why to God be the glory? Not to you be the glory, because, oh, you're really good at commands, and you don't eat pork, and you keep the Sabbath, oh, oh, oh yeah, and Hanukkah, and all the holy days, and all of that, and that... Nonsense is still around today, and I meet these kinds of people. They claim to be Christians, but they keep the Sabbath, and they do all of this, and they keep a kosher table. Oh, don't mess with me about that. <laughs> don't, do not. I, I had a conversation here once with somebody. They only were here once because after the conversation, they left. But... Uh, we were standing right over there, and he's telling me, you got to keep a kosher table, and you got to do this, and, and you don't keep the Sabbath? I'm so surprised to hear that, he says. And I said, uh, first of all, are you a Gentile? You're a Gentile, aren't you? And he said, yeah, I'm a Gentile. I said, you're a wannabe Jew. Wait, what is this? Right, you're not only you're a wannabe Jew, but I am a Jew. I, I have the DNA test to prove it to you, right? And I don't play around with that nonsense. And so did Paul the Apostle, who's more Jewish than anybody else, right? They didn't mess around with this. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and all these other things. Yes, it makes you feel superior to everybody else. And who wouldn't want to feel a cut above everybody else in the room? Oh, these poor people, they eat bacon. Oh. <laughs> And they have Christmas trees, and, they, and they, they do this and that and the other thing. I'm so much more spiritual than everybody else because of what I eat. Jesus said, excuse me, when a person eats, goes in 
to their mouth and is eliminated. Jesus said that. He said it doesn't go anywhere near the heart. It has nothing to do with defiling you. It's what comes out of your mouth that you should be concerned about. Amen? Very good response there. I think that's because I made you sit all together. All right, we're off and running. Let's get to the body of the letter, 6 through 10. Usually, this is the place in all his other epistles where there's a commendation or a thanksgiving for something positive. Oh, I thank my God because your faith is growing more and more. Or, wow, I I think of you every time I pray, I thank God for you. This is the place where he says, hey, guys, good job. Here's what he says instead. I'm astonished (laughs) that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned anathema there in the Greek. Verse 9, as we have already said, so now I'm going to repeat to you, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Them's fighting words, people. <laughs> Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's talk about point number two. We've seen Paul's greeting. Now we're going to see Paul's gripe. All right? He's going to have some words of indictment against these Christians who haven't totally gone apostate. Apostate means to fall away, but they're sure being tempted. And maybe some have, but he still calls them brothers. And, and the way that the, the, the words are phrased, uh, they haven't done the deed, they're thinking about it. It's in the process. And so the gripe is here, and he gets right to the point. He expresses his shock with his friends, those dear ones he loves there in Galatia. And he expresses his righteous anger toward the interlopers. Uh, That's a fun word. And the commentators call them such and infiltrators. Um, And now he's got a chance to express what's been brewing in him for a long time, this terrible anger, righteous anger, about somebody who would trip somebody up, trip a soul up, so that they miss heaven and, and plunge into a Christless eternity. And that's cause for righteous anger there. One commentator says he gets an, a chance to express this righteous anger in an abrupt, passionate outburst. <laughs> I thought those were appropriate words. The way to describe what we're reading here, some of the strongest language in the Bible is here Uh, staring at you on the screen. Uh, Now, by adding something of good works or some kind of effort on our part to the gospel is to destroy the whole meaning of grace. You destroy the, the whole gospel implodes if any of 
salvation depends on you. You don't have the gospel. I've got a verse here. Let me just quickly show you from Titus uh, where uh, 30 years later, he's going to put it this way. It's a song he keeps singing. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous, good, moral things we had done, but because of his mercy, letting you off the hook. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. He gave us new life. He renewed us by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out, who he poured out on us generously by mercy, not because of any good thing we've done through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now that being pardoned by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal Life. This is the thing that they're leaving. This is what astonishes him. We can go back to the verses. He's saying, you're leaving the one who called you, check it out in your verses, by grace. That's what's astonishing to him, is, is, is that he calls you, that you're turning from the one who's, who's giving you grace to the one who's promising you bondage. That's, that, he says, that's astonishing. To, and I, what I want you to notice here is what's astonishing to him is not that they're leaving Orthodox Christianity. I'm not astonished that you're leaving the doctrine so much first and foremost. What is he astonished? He's astonished that they're leaving a person. You're abandoning the one, the God. You're abandoning God. So two, go away from the gospel is to, to go away from God. This is not just like I've changed my mind, I've enlightened my thoughts, I've amended my theology. No, you're turning on God. That's what happens when somebody leaves the faith. They're not so much leaving the faith. Not according to Paul. And what's astonishing him is that you could have met your father in heaven through Christ, who's also a person, and that you could turn from a person. You're abandoning God. He says, I marvel, I am shocked, I am blown away. How quickly you're deserting God. It's not uh, so much Christianity, but the face of the one. And the charge is a serious one. He's saying you're deserting, you're going AWOL, right? You're absent from your post without, uh, without leave. You know, you haven't gone... You, you're, 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 you're pulling a Judas, as it were. To leave Orthodox Christianity is to have a problem with God. And everybody will say, well, my problem is with this doctrine about hell or doctrine about sexuality. Oh, no, your problem is with the one who is behind those doctrines. And that is what the Bible says. And when you pull away from that, you are pulling away from God. And that's astonishing, and it still is astonishing. I was astonished today because I walked by somebody. I ran into somebody, and uh, was totally left, totally left a lifetime of evangelical Christianity, totally 100%. And not only has he left it, but he proselytizes people who have uh, stayed strong in their Christian life. And that's the new thing now. You don't just fall away 
Like the old days, you'd fall away, you'd stop believing certain things, and you'd just go and do your own thing. Oh, but now you're on a mission to liberate everybody else from their narrow-minded ways and bring them into the light and the new enlightenment of a new thing that you have found. That you know what? Paul says when you do that, you're abandoning your relationship with God. That's a serious thing. One writer said, every apostasy is first and foremost an act of treason against the person of Christ. First, before it's a move toward false doctrine. And so, to paraphrase so far, let me read this little paraphrase. He says, let's get clear. What's going on here? Are you kidding me? You're not expanding your ideas. You're, you're not becoming more spiritual, more modern, more of a thinker, more relevant you're not becoming more gracious and loving to people. You're turning on the one who called you by grace. You're turning to a different version of the gospel. And he makes this beautiful point in verse 7, which actually is no other gospel. There's no other gospel. And here's this point. I love this point. It's exactly what's going on today, by the way. When you tweak the gospel, you don't have the gospel anymore. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying when you make a change to something, it's not the same thing anymore. Because guess what? You changed it. So, for example, if you have a vegan recipe and you just egg, add one egg, you know what? All you did was add one little egg to the whole thing, you know? You're saying it's mostly vegan. It is vegan. It's just got a little bit of an egg in there. You know what? It's no longer vegan. I'm sorry, and that's exactly what's happening today. Oh, we're just going to tweak it just a little bit. We're just going to put a little bit more tolerance in there. You don't need to repent. God loves everybody the way they are. Oh, that lifestyle won't take you to hell. Well, well 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says it will. So what have you done? You've tweaked the gospel into something it's not because there's only one gospel, he says. There is no other form. So if you've got a liberal, progressive form of Christianity, you don't have the gospel. You have tweaked it. You've, and in the word there is evidently some people are trying to throw you into confusion, trying to pervert. That word means to distort or to bend or to twist it into saying something it's not. When you have a gospel or a person, who is more forgiving than Christ and wiser than the Apostle Paul, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> Amen? Come on. Come on. And so he's saying, I don't care if it's me come to you and said, hey, hey I've got a new revelation. Or it's one of the guys I, who's with us or an angel. From heaven. Now that would be an authoritative preacher. He says, I don't care if some uh, angelic vision shows up because the gospel is the gospel and it's been given once and for all and entrusted to us as is once and for always. That is the truth that sets us free. No matter how, here's what he's saying there in verse 8. No matter how impressive, hip, cool, beautiful, popular, angelic, gifted, smart, or with 10 million followers on their Twitter. 
He's saying poison is poison no matter how beautiful the container, how sweet the fragrance, or impressive the delivery. He's saying, line it up with the Bible. Line it up with Paul's gospel. Line it up right there with the New Testament. If it lines up, then we can receive it. If it doesn't, it's not the gospel, and we uh, don't embrace that at all. So uh, he, uh, he's saying here, may the purveyors and their poison perish forever together. And so one writer put it this way. He said, denunciation of error is one indicator of devotion to the truth. Of course, Paul says that it will bring on a curse from God to move away from Christ who is God incarnate. Of course, it brings on a curse. Those are very stark and severe words. You want some more? All right, here here we go. How about the ones like the guy I met today? I saw him sitting with one of our guys. And I I, I said to somebody who was with me, I'm going to go over there and stop that from happening. And the other person said, no, he's a big boy. Let him deal with it. And so I said, okay, I agree. So I saw the guy, the kid, the young man, sorry. He's one of our, our guys, young man. And I said, so what did he have to say? And he said, oh, he has all these ideas. I said, yeah, the first time he meets you, within five minutes... He's telling you about different ideas about doctrine, right? Did he? Yes, he did. What did he say? Well, he has problems with the local church. Yes, he does. And he has problems with pastors. Yes, he does. And he has problems with altar calls. Yes, he does. He has problems with how everything is in the, in the local church. He couldn't wait five minutes with somebody he's never met who he knows is connected to this fellowship. Couldn't wait to dig in with all smiles, and every time we see each other, it's all smiles and waves and all of that. We're living in the end times, but it's not much different than 2,000 years ago when these folks wanted to, quote, throw you into confusion, and that word means to unsettle something, to dislodge something that from its former place. You're trying to pull something out from something, and that's exactly what this guy was doing. Five minutes with a fresh face, finds out he's connected to the rock, and starts going at him to unsettle him, to throw him into confusion, to dislodge him from his orthodox view of Christian doctrine. Here's what Jesus said. These things have to happen, but whoa, through whom they happen. He says, listen, if you cause a little one of mine to stumble, he says, listen, if you had two choices, A, concrete slab chained to your throat, and then they haul you out to the middle of the Pacific and toss you overboard, or what's going to happen when they stand before me? When you stand before me, choose A. Oh, choose A. You'll be way happier at the bottom of the Pacific with a millstone chained to your neck. This is Jesus, meek and mild, saying, do not mess with A. 
If you want to go to the spiritual center, go to the spiritual center where you can have Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad and everybody on a different Sunday. You could sing zippity-doo-dah, zippity-yay during worship. But do not try to take somebody away from Christ. What if you're wrong and you find yourself working against God Almighty? Oh, man, I'm getting excited up here. I better turn the page. All right. So where are we? We're at about verse 8. He says, watch out no matter how hip and cool they are or how smooth their arguments are. And they are smooth, let me tell you. And he says, there's no other gospel. Oh, here we go. Verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's, here's what you got to know to make sense of 10, is that they were saying, he's mamby-pamby. He says whatever. He, the commentators call their accusation, calling him a time saver, a time server. I didn't know what that meant, so I looked it up. It's somebody who says whatever they need to say to get the desired effect they want. So they were saying, of course he tells you salvation uh, by free grace and all you have to do is believe in God and boom, you're done, of course, right? And so he says, would a guy who just said what I just said be a mamby-pamby guy who tells people anything they want to hear so they'll be happy with me? That's what he's saying there. He's saying, Does, do I sound right now when I just called him out and said, hey, let him be eternally condemned? Do I sound like the kind of guy who wants to make everybody happy and say whatever to make people uh, have a smooth relationship with me? Of course not. He says, I do not care the slightest what men think of me as long as I obey Christ, my master, whose slave I am. Now, as a general rule, Paul did think it was important, I should say, to live in an amenable, agreeable way of life that others would be pleased by his actions, but never at the expense of pleasing God first. And there's a nice little companion text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And now he's saying, look, obviously you guys don't know me. You're listening more to my detractors than than to... uh, my own story. So he's going to tell them uh, how he supernaturally encountered Christ and got this revelation uh, now in his testimony that's going to go really from this next verse, verse 11, and we'll pause at 17, but it goes to 24. Uh, But that's his testimony, but it actually, his testimony spills over till uh, note takers, chapter two, verse 14 is his testimony. And we're going to take a look at it now. He goes on to say, so I want you to know, brothers, he's still calling them brothers, this is a good sign, uh, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who sent me apart, set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, there it is again, 
was pleased to reveal his son in me, interesting, so that I might preach him among the non-Jewish people, among the nations, that word means nations. I didn't consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into the desert in Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Let's take a look at this. So uh, Paul's greeting was one, Paul's gripe, and now I needed a G word, so we went with Paul's great testimony, all right? So now we've got some autobiographical remarks from the apostle. We do really, this is the, the most detailed description of Paul's life that we have. These are his silent years. We know about his life from Acts 13 on, really from Acts 9, but there are a few years that we don't know about, and he's going to tell them. It, it fits because it makes up his defense for them to understand they can trust him. And, and he's going to answer the question now, why is his gospel that he preaches the only gospel? Why is it exclusively the only way to heaven? He's going to answer that now. I mean, uh, the slander is, and the reason for this is because they're saying he's making this stuff as he goes uh, along. Where, where did he get all of this justification by faith stuff? We didn't hear it. We don't hear it from Peter, James, or John. And so he's going to describe his relationship with the other guys. And um, he starts by saying, listen, regarding the gospel, I preach to you three things in 11 through 12. Number one, the origin. He's saying it's not something of human design, uh, the cross and uh, God's self-sacrifice. Now, come on. Can, can man make Christianity up? Where you, that, that, where, show me a religion that says, you guys do nothing but sin. And I'll become your sin. I'll become one of you. And I'll stand in the place of your punishment. And God the Father will take out your punishment on me, who's become you and all of your sin. And then all I need from you is a change of heart. Show me that when people say all religions are the same. Show me that. Where God says, you do nothing, I do everything. I'll become one of you and, and pour out my blood on your behalf. Uh, yeah, I know. So uh, the first thing he says there in verse 11, and man didn't make it up. Okay, the Bible says this of itself, 2 Peter 1 uh, and 2 Timothy, I have on one slide. Tom, thank you. Above all, Understand this, no prophecy, no scripture comes about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. It doesn't, Paul's saying this, but prophets, he himself included, though humans spoke from God as they were carried along, given utterance by the Holy Spirit. And then again, Paul to Timothy, all scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is God-breathed useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and how to be right with God. So what does the Bible say about the Bible? It says it's men held the pen and the Spirit spoke from within. Amen? Yes. So that was his first point. The second thing is transmission. He says, I didn't get it from any man. I didn't consult with some holy man in the desert or apostle or monk or rabbi. You know, they're like, where did he get this stuff? Well, I didn't get it from any man. And then thirdly, he says, and it wasn't taught to me. Nobody had to teach it. It was revealed within me 
by the Holy Spirit, the risen Lord. So he, he points out the supernatural nature of the source of his um, understanding of the gospel. Verses 13 through uh, following, he says, moreover, he, uh, Paul is going to, to now debunk uh, this whole thing about uh, being inferior, having inferior human sources, okay? So he says, let me tell you about my former self. They say, who was he consulting? Who are his mentors, right? And he says, you know what? I wasn't consulting Christians. I was busy killing them. That's what he wants to say. He's gonna try to show them, for me to be preaching this gospel is a supernatural, miraculous event. There's no other way to explain it. So he's saying, if I was 100% um, against this to the point of killing people like me now, he's saying, how do you explain uh, my preaching the gospel to you now? And so he goes on to say, he was, verse 13, violently, obsessively opposed, jailing Christians, forcing them to blaspheme. He said, I was this on-fire Pharisee. Uh, verse 14, uh, way excelling past my peers. I lived to eradicate the name of Jesus and the cult, uh, this cult, he called it, from the face of the earth. So here's his point here in 13 and 14. No man this obsessed with this much zeal against Christianity would be open to human uh, persuasion. So they were accusing him of getting some false information from people. He said, this is not something that I got from Peter, James, and John, as holy as they were. He said, I did it. I wanted to kill Peter, James, and John. It was from God. So verse 15 is, but God, do you see that there? That's something that we all share. Every Christian shares those two words. We all have that in common. We were dead in sins. We were uh, living disobedient lives. We were gratifying the sinful desires uh, of our hearts. Uh, we were headed for judgment just like everybody else. But God, rich in mercy. That's a quoting. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, condensed version of that. And he said, but God called me. Three things he said about God there. Verse 15, look at that. He says, it started early. From birth he set me apart and called me by grace. Acts chapter 9 shows the whole story with, God, with the Lord saying, hey, I've been trying to get you for a long time. It's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? So he's saying, I've been goading you for years, man. It's hard. And he says, you keep kicking back into the goad. He, Jesus said, isn't that painful, buddy? You, don't you want to stop? I've been trying to get your attention, you know? And uh, he did there in Acts chapter 9. Thirdly, he said, uh, verse 16 there, interesting, he revealed his son in me. Two meanings of this. Possibly, number one, the work of the Holy Spirit is an inward revelation. It, the Holy Spirit comes in and reveals the truth in our hearts. So it's not like he could have said he revealed it to me. That's a little different, isn't it? But he's, he's explaining what happens when we become Christians, that the Spirit of Christ himself, Jesus, was revealed in me, teaching me 
about this gospel. The other thing revealed in me can mean is that others saw Christ and his work of converting Paul from this murderous, terrible person into this wonderful man of God. Christ was revealed through him. He says, in me, Christ was revealed to others. And so those are the two ways that you could look at that. And then he says, after three years there, he said, really, so Paul continues, he says, just as he wasn't taught the gospel before conversion, he didn't get schooled by men after conversion. And so verse 16, if you're following there, he says, I didn't consult with Christians to understand what happened. So he gets struck there in Acts chapter 9, and he didn't go running to Jerusalem to say, hey, I just saw the Lord. Can somebody explain this to me? He says, no, I didn't do that. He says, I went out. I didn't make an appointment there with Peter, James, and John in Jerusalem. Verse 17, follow along with me. He says, I got away to the desert to get alone with God and think through what God has done. He set me apart. He revealed Christ inside my heart and my mind. And so I went not to Jerusalem to get the manual on church history and, and to go to seminary. I went out to hear from God and I was in the wilderness in Arabia there for a few years. And then so this is what he's saying. And here's the point of the, this paragraph in front of you. He's saying, Paul didn't go and make an appointment with the apostles because Paul is an apostle himself in, in his own right. And that when he does go and see Peter, James, and John, they're going to learn from him some things. Yes, he has some things to learn. But uh, really at this point, here's the point. When number 12 apostle fell away, they needed another guy. So in Acts chapter 1, they had Joe and Matt. They said, hey, both of them could be great apostles. What do you think? We'll roll the dice. So they rolled dice. And they said, Matt, you win. The problem with this is we never hear about Matt again, ever. But who do we hear from? We hear Paul, 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 Paul. 13 New Testament books, 20 New Testament churches. Paul was the 12th apostle so the commentators conclude and that this biographical sketch is to, by the Holy Spirit, to say Paul has the authority of an apostle set apart, filled by the Holy Spirit, and he didn't go up to get the apostle's permission. He went to get God's confirmation. And then, now we'll see verses 18, and we'll finish up tonight. Now, this is the concluding paragraph, and you made it through Galatians chapter 1. Look at you. Not yet, but hold on. <laughs> then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stay with him a couple weeks. I didn't see any of the other guys, only James, the Lord's half-brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Later, I went up to, then I went to Syria and Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this rumor. Hey, the guy was trying to kill us uh, before. He's preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy, and they praised God because of me. 
So let's finish up with the last part of his testimony here. So he says, okay, after three years in the desert with scorpions, dirt, a lot of tumbleweeds and cactus and uh, holy solitude, fastings and prayings and losses and crosses, getting readjusted and equipped, three years. And he said, then God, you know, God was ready to unleash the Apostle Paul on the Roman Empire. And so after three years, he went up to visit with Peter for two weeks, verse 18, And as I said, quite frankly, Peter needed to learn a few things from Paul, as he did. But look at the wisdom of who God allowed Paul to meet. Peter, the lead eyewitness and the leader of the disciples, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, who grew up with the Son of God, God in a human body, in the same house. They slept in the same bedroom with God. What wisdom of the Holy Spirit to kind of round out the thinking and the, the, the whole uh, story than with Peter and James. All the stories that Peter could tell. Oh, just think about it. The walking on the water and the feeding of the 10,000 and the raising up of uh, the dead uh, people who had died and that Jesus right in front of Peter's eyes. And then James sitting around the dinner table or watching Jesus come into the knowledge that he was the son of God right before his uh Younger brother's eyes like that. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So he says, I'm not lying about this, verse 20, because they were saying, nobody knows him. Hey, we know Peter, James, and John. They don't know him. So he says, no, I'm not lying. I, I spent time with them. I had two weeks with them. And I met James and nobody else. I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, and then um, this is the whole point, that, that he is one of the dudes. Now, after Jerusalem, he says there in verse 21, he says he goes on north, he goes to Syria. Now, you know where what's in Syria? Damascus. When was he last in Damascus? When he got saved. And so he goes back now after three years to Ananias, maybe, who led him by the hand and said, the Lord sent me to tell you, you know, your sins are washed away. You need to be baptized, laid hands on him and prayed. Did he go back to, he went to Damascus to kill Christians. So now he's saved. He's been with the Lord three years. He goes right from Jerusalem. He goes back to Damascus to minister to the people that he was previously set on destroying who helped him. Those were the first Christian brother voices that that man ever heard. So he went there. And the next touching place he went is Cilicia. And do you know where that is? That is the home of Tarsus. That is the state in Turkey where he grew up. Jews through the diaspora, it's called. When the uh, bad guys came in and kicked all the Jews out, they ended up in different places. And his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents ended up in Turkey. And so Paul was raised in Cilicia. And so how touching 
that the first thing he does is after he gets right with God for three years, he goes up to Jerusalem, confirms, and says, hey, I'm going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. You're the apostle to the Jews, Peter. Yeah? And then he goes back to Ananias. And then he goes home. And he was intent on staying put until Barnabas in Acts chapter 13 says, hey, we need some help here. The apostle Paul, where is he? And goes from Antioch to Turkey to get Paul, brings him back in, and now from Acts 13, you've got the rest of Paul's life. Because Barnabas went to get him, and that's how Paul gets involved in the church planting. Because up till then, he was home. And it reminds me kind of, you remember the d- demoniac that Jesus set free? And the guy said, after getting all those demons out of him, He's sitting there clothed in his right mind. And he says, looks into Jesus' face and says, I will follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, go home and tell everybody, show them the wonderful things God has done for you. And that's what Paul did. He went back to Tarsus, to Cilicia, where he was around his family they, and the commentators say he probably lost his wife because Pharisees had to be married. So there's no wife in the story anymore. She probably checked out because of the Jesus thing. Uh, but he went home and he ministered to his parents and he took care. And then there was a knock on the door from Barnabas saying, hey, we could use your help back at the church in Antioch, which is on the border of Syria and Turkey. And so Paul comes back in. And once, you, once that happens... You're on, he's on the grid again. He's in the Bible story again. And now you know the whole rest of the story, but we didn't know any of that unless we had those last two paragraphs. He's got one more paragraph to go, but we'll take a look at that when we start chapter two next week. You guys are just relentless in your thirst for Bible study. So (laughs) let's pray together. Now, Father, we just thank you for this chapter. There's a lot to think about. We thank you for your great love and the the truth that you did come to set us free. God, our takeaway tonight is the um, those who want to tweak the gospel today. Please help us, Lord, to, to be steadfast and movable and to keep ourselves from being persuaded. The gospel gets perverted and people try to throw us into confusion help us to embrace and not let go the truth that sets us free and saves us in jesus name amen you've been listening to the rocks podcast our regular services are held on sunday mornings at 8 30 and 10 30 a.m in santa rosa california if you'd like to learn more please visit our website at cctherock.org 